So are you ready for this? And I think we need to pray one more time if we're going to get going on this, that, uh, that we can understand this morning the presence of God and what it means to be in the presence of God and, and how that happens. And we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. So Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for our precious live stream folks who uh, may watch this some during the course of this week or maybe actually be online this morning. Lord, we thank you for their, where they are, and we thank you for this body here that continues to meet and love you and worship you and reach out, Lord, and, and desire a relationship with you. And I pray for those who are here this morning that may not even know if you exist, maybe here exploring, you know, does God exist? And Lord, I just pray that they would have a revelation of who you are, that they would come to know you in a very profound way. Lord, we need you. We need your guidance of your Holy Spirit this morning. We need your presence, and we know because you've said where two or more are gathered in my name, I'll be there in their midst. We know you are here in spirit among us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so last week, if you'll remember, we've been working through this series on David, and I, I speculated that probably, in my view, the, one of the great, the great qualities of David, what made David great was that he had an, an just an unquenchable desire for the presence of God. We saw ups and downs in his life, and I'm so thankful for the story of David because I think there are a few of us in here that would not say there have been ups and downs, spiritually speaking, in your life, maybe even post-Jesus. It's not been a linear ride. There are times when you just feel cloud nine and you feel the presence of God, and there are other times where you feel like, you know, you're just a friend of the devil, you know? I mean, it just feels like one of those places of dry, where is the Lord in this? I think we all have that. And David clearly had that. And yet, he always, when he was confronted with a sin, he always got back on track. You know, a righteous man, the Bible says, falls seven times, and yet he gets up every time. There have been so many times that I have failed, and I just feel like I want to stay on the side of the road, just, just rest there and just, you know, let God do his thing. And I feel just so alienated from God. Don't. Jesus paid for everything, your sins that you've committed in the past and the sins you'll commit in the future. He's paid everything on the price, he, everything on the cross. He paid the entire price for past, present, and future failures. Let me just say that again. Jesus paid the total price for you, and I got to tell you, that's extraordinary. Can you, I mean, do you get the, the gravity of that? Jesus paid everything, and, uh, and I am so thankful that he did. So get up. And David did continuously get up after great failures. He had a passion for the king. He had a passion for the presence of God. And we saw that he had such a passion. Just in their day, it was the Ark of the Covenant was a representative type of God's presence. He would be there above the mercy seat between the two cherubim. And that would be a manifest presence of the Shekinah glory of God coming among men. And he wanted that in the city, man. He wanted that in his house. He was tired of Obed-Edom getting all the blessings. He wanted the presence of God in Jerusalem. If they were going to set up a capital, how would they not have the direct presence of God? And we also saw that the presence of God happens to those who draw near. James chapter 4, verse 8. Those who draw near to me, I will draw near to them. Now, we can debate on whether or not, because I don't want this, this could be very confusing. You say, well, if I don't do these things, are you telling me I don't have the Holy Spirit or I lose the Holy Spirit in some way? No, I'm not telling you that. I believe there is the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. The Bible clearly says that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. We've talked about that in here. But I do think, and I think it's consistent with Scripture, that you see increased fillings of the Holy Spirit, the manifest presence of God in men and women's lives as they did certain things. And the Bible would be clear in the book of Acts. And then they would be filled again with the Holy Spirit and then in the power of the Holy Spirit. So we want to look a little bit this morning as what does happen? What are things that we can do to bring the presence of God in a more profound way, okay? Is everybody on the same page? It's important that we see that we do play a role in the presence of God, as we even talked about, and we'll talk about it a little bit more in a, in a minute. Uh, where two or more are gathered in my name, I am there in their midst. Does that, not, does that mean that God's not in your midst if you're alone praying in isolation? I don't think so, but I do think there's a multiplying effect as we gather, and we'll look at that as one of the examples. Can you do anything in your life that brings a consistent 
increase in the manifest presence of God in your life. And I would suggest to you, and be a Berean this morning. The Bereans were those who said, wait a minute, we got to go back and check the scriptures to make sure that what you're saying is accurate. I'm going to take you through the scriptures in a way this morning and give you, for lack of a better term, some power secrets on how, you, how the Bible states that we can enter the presence of God. Number one, I want you to go to Romans chapter 10, verse 17. That's where we're going to start. First of all, faith is something that is attractive to God. Jesus said, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? Faith is the cornerstone. We're saved by God's extension to us, unmerited extension, his grace, but we're saved by grace through our response to that grace, which is our part in the our part in it, which is faith. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. So how do you increase your faith? How do you make faith grow? Well, you're doing it right now, unless you're asleep. You're doing it right now. If you have an open heart to God's word to you as we read it, if you're open to his revelation about how life works, this book, Faith, will grow. Faith comes by hearing in hearing by the Word of God. Now, some people, and even in the time of Jesus, they struggled to hear. And Jesus often said, well, they just don't have ears to hear. They had physical ears. They heard the, the sound waves. They heard them, and they came in, but they couldn't hear it. Are you, are you with me? So it was a spiritual incapacity, if you will, to actually hear and understand what God was saying. So hearing involves more than just something audibly coming into your ear. Hearing goes down into the very core and your heart grabs onto it and goes, that's right. That resonates with me. That has a ring of truth to it. And when the word does that, it explodes. Bible says it's living and active and sharper than any sword you could ever find. And it comes in and there's a power that happens and faith grows. Well, why is faith so important? Well, I want to look at that next. So first of all, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And then secondly, through faith, we begin to have the capacity to believe into what we would consider on the earth side the impossible. The impossible. You know, some of you have experienced this. You just say, and in fact, I was having a conversation with a guy out front in a foyer, one of our precious team members, and he goes, God is doing something in my business right now. It's just unbelievable. It's impossible. I said, isn't that great? It's called the kingdom of God. It's when God's presence comes into your family. It's when God's presence comes into your business. It's when God's presence invades your life and things that shouldn't happen in the seen realm begin to happen in the unseen realm and eventually they begin to manifest in the seen realm. Are you, let me say that again. Things begin to happen in the unseen realm through faith and it pulls these realities out of the unseen realm and they begin to manifest themselves into the seen realm. And that's what happened with the miraculous. That's what signs and wonders are. All they are is that things get pulled out of this realm and they get pulled into the seen realm. And you go, that cannot happen. I don't know how that happened. How did that happen? By faith. By faith. I want you to go to Mark chapter 9. We were looking at Mark chapter 9 last week. We looked at people... We, talked about unity. We talked about the disciples. Were, hey, these people aren't following after us. What's the problem here? Should, should we tell them not to cast out demons in your name? And Jesus said, look, don't hinder them. I mean, if, if they're doing this, if they're not against us, then they're for us. But in that same chapter, we get pick it up here in verse 14. So, so when they came back to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them. All right, here, here's how it works. Immediately when the entire crowd saw him, they were amazed and began running up to greet him. And we're talking about Jesus. And he asked him, he says, what are you discussing with them? And one of the crowd answered him and says, teacher, I brought you my son possessed with a spirit which makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground and he foams at the mouse and grinds his teeth and stiffens out. That's a problem. I told your disciples to cast it out. And they couldn't do it. 
And then Jesus said, well, oh, unbelieving generation. Now, wait a minute. Stop for a second. They were trying, but they couldn't do it. Now, there's a part of the body of Christ that says, we tried that, we couldn't do it, so God doesn't do miracles anymore. God's done with the miracle business. He only did that 2,000 years ago to to codify the Bible. Can I just tell you, we're not going to believe that here in the Church of the Red Door, and we'll talk about that in much more graphic detail. And I told you last week, I do struggle sometimes because I see some of the things the disciples did and the early apostles in the early church and... uh, And then I don't see that necessarily exactly happen every time in my experience. But I'm not going to let my experience determine my theology. I'm going to let my theology set in my soul, and I'm going to keep looking at it and looking at it and looking at it and eating the Word and eating the Word and eating the Word until my experience becomes manifest. And this this realm, this kingdom of heaven gets pulled over, and there's kind of an in-break between this realm into the seen realm and had I, had I stopped, well, you know, I came to Christ and I prayed to win the lottery and I didn't win the lottery. So I'm not going to be a Christian anymore because they said, ask anything you want, it'll be done in my name. And I did it in Jesus' name and I didn't win the lottery. So I don't either, either the miraculous has stopped or God's promises are wrong or something. And so my experience says that I can't, I can't do that. But let me just tell you, I wouldn't be in front of you. And I told you that last week. I said, if it had just been me and some dogmatic statements that I had had about heaven and hell and I had no experience with the presence of God, let me just tell you something. I wouldn't be standing in in front of you today. I'd have given up a long time ago. God has invaded my life, my wife's life, our lives. Our kids don't even know the depth of how much God has invaded our lives because they didn't know us pre-Jesus. It's an extraordinary thing that we've seen in our own life. We've seen the miraculous. We've seen signs and wonders. We've had dreams. We've had visions. And many of those have come to pass in very profound ways. That's the kind of church we're going to be. And yet, we look a little staid. It's just kind of our calling, you know? We may not look like a charismatic church. We believe in the presence of the powerful God that His power in the unseen realm can be made manifest in the seen realm. And this is what happened here. Oh, unbelieving generation. They tried, but they couldn't do it. They tried to pull this realm of healing into the seen realm, and a guy's still foaming at the mouth and laying on the ground. What are we going to do about that? More faith. Unbelieving generation. I don't know why. Look, it'd be so, I, I, it's so clean. If I were just to say, well, I have an experience. I pray it didn't happen. Therefore, God's will or something, it's just, it would be so clean in my life, and yet I, I'm so desperate for the presence of God and the power of God to invade. I want this to be a word and power church. I, I, look, I want to see you healed. Is everybody going to be healed? No. But many are going to be healed. We've already had multiple healings in here. People have gotten healed physically already through prayer. James 4 says, you bring them before the elders, you anoint them with oil and pray. And then we've done that with a few people, and they've not been completely healed yet. We're just going to ask and keep on asking and ask and keep on asking. Oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when they saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion. And falling to the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. Here he goes again. And he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. It's thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. And then this is the question. But if you can do anything, take pity on him. Help us. We need help. If you can do anything. And Jesus' response, if you can. He says, all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the boy's father cried out, says, I do believe, but help my unbelief. I, I, I believe kind of halfway. I mean, I've got something in me that tells me you're the man. But there's also part of me that goes, mm, I'm not so sure. Uh, have you ever been in that place where you've prayed for somebody? I, I mean, would you pray for me? Yes. And deep down you're like, I don't think anything's going to happen. I mean, I'm willing to pray because, you know, the Bible says pray for somebody. And I'm willing to pray for you, 
But deep down, I'm like, oh, I've done this before and it didn't happen. And so I, I believe, but would you help my unbelief? I believe, but would you help my unbelief? I just think that's a great place of humility. I, I got a friend in here, uh, Marty, and, and he says that that's one of his verses. He just, you know, he goes, I want to see God's presence and power poured out on people. I want to see it, but I struggle with unbelief. And he, he quotes Mark 9 all the time. I hope he doesn't mind me saying that. He, I may be in trouble for letting you in on that. But uh, he's just said, look, I, I, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I think, of, I think of his humility when I read this verse. So when he said that, he said, Jesus saw that a crowd was uh, rapidly gathering, and he rebuked the unclean spirit and said, you, you deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. After crying out and throwing him into terrible convulsions, it came out and the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them says, I think he's dead. And Jesus took him by the hand and raised him and he got up and when they came to the house, his disciples began questioning him privately. He says, why couldn't we do this? And he said, this kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. And, and I'm sure their thought was, well, we didn't see you go into a long prayer session before you did it. You just did it. Chances are, this is my own speculation, Jesus had already maybe seen this coming and had already prayed before they even got there. He was, he was already praying for the situation before it even happened. You say, well, that's Jesus because he was God. He was the God man. But I got to be honest with you. There are times, many times in my personal walk that the Lord has put something powerfully on my heart to begin to pray for, or, or, or I go to the Word, and I begin to get some insight about something, and, and I begin to pray and look and see this, and then, I go, and then I get up, and I go to a meeting that day, and I needed every single bit of that the whole, the whole meeting. In other words, I had already prayed for that situation. Somehow, God had already prepared me to do that. There was already something going on there in advance, and it gives me, again, a sense that how do you invite the presence of God? Those who draw near to me, I will draw near to them. And that's why Jesus was oft, often was able to say, well, I do only what I see the Father doing. And I speak only what I see the, hear the Father speak. So Jesus walked in a world of not just reaction, but preparation in advance for things that would occur during the course of that day. You know, your time in the morning, your daily bread of spending time in the Word is so important. So I didn't experience God at all this week. What did your morning prayer time look like? Did you spend time in the Word in the morning? Did you spend or some time during the, the evening for the next day? Or did, or did you have preparation time? Was the Lord, did you give the Lord an opportunity to speak to you? And then when He spoke to you, whether or not you were aware of it, you might have needed it, but because we didn't pursue him, we weren't prepared. And so, well, Jeff's not prepared to go into that situation right now. I, I cannot tell you how many times it happens to me. I get up, I'm sitting there in the Word, and, I, and I'm reading a chapter or something, and I'm praying about it, and the Lord gives me some insight into it, and then I go out, and then I need it that very day. Somebody asked me that question. It's just bizarre. It's just crazy. It happens over and over. And yet when I don't get in the Word, nothing happens that day. And you go, why didn't it happen? Well, maybe I wasn't prepared. So there is an invitation to the presence of God in our preparation to believe so that when we believe, we'll see it in action. And that brings us to our next point, which is very simply, when we serve, we will absolutely see the manifest presence of God. If you have a settled disposition to be a servant of God, can I just tell you, I can look, and let me tell you something. I, I hope you know by now, I try to be honest with you. I can come down and look you right in the eye and say, Brian, you're, you will see the manifest presence of God if you have a settled disposition to be a humble servant of the living God. You'll see the power. You will see the power. He will not leave you empty-handed in the moment that you need it. What did he tell his disciples? He said, don't prepare in advance what you're going to say. In the moment that you need it, I'll give it to you. Now, that's the manifest presence of God. That's the power of God. It's like this invasion to serve. I'm going to make a statement, and you say, well, wait a minute. I need proof of that, and then we're going to try to go through the Scriptures. I'm going to make a statement now. Are you ready? When you run from God's call on your life, 
in many ways, you're running from the presence of God. Let me say that again. When you run from the call that God has on your life, in many ways, you're running from the very presence of God. And you say, how can you run? Now, God is so gracious to chase us down, hunt us down, put things in front of us, help us. All that's true. He gets us back on the path. But I'm talking about that infilling. I'm talking about that hair on the back of your arms kind of stuff standing up, the supernatural. You make a call, and the guy, how in the world did you call me? I didn't know. Why are you calling me out of nowhere? You know, and, and I just, I'm really struggling, and now you're calling because the Holy Spirit told me to call you. I mean, stuff like that just happens so routinely when you have a settled disposition to be a servant of God that if you've not experienced it, you may be rolling your eyes at me right now. But if you've experienced it, you're just like, well, yeah. I mean, I really saw God begin to act in my life when I finally just said, okay, Lord, I am a humble servant of yours. Uh, not, I struggle with my own humility just because, you know, but Lord, if you can take this old broken up person like me, Father, I'll serve you with all my heart. Just use me. I'm, I'm asking you to use me. If you've done that, you've seen it. I'm telling you, I've never, not one time in all the years I've done ministry, never, ever met somebody who I know, and you can tell it in someone's demeanor, has gone to that place, and then they don't walk in some kind of manifest spiritual power kind of package. I'm not saying it happens all the time. I'm not saying it's just an every moment occurrence, but it's so routine, and it gets so much. Why? Because you're also growing in your faith. If you experience God, your faith also explodes. So there's this like snowball effect. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the Word of God, and then you apply it by faith because the only way way you're going to do what God tells you to do is because you have faith to do it. Then you apply it. You see God come through in miraculous ways. That grows your faith. You go back to the Word. Now you get more Word. You got more faith to act on more things God tells you to do, which gives you more power to want to go back to the Word and do that again. And now rather than being caught in this addictive cycle to drugs or alcohol or fame or something else, you're caught in this addictive cycle of obeying God because it's such a high when He shows up. And that's good preaching. Thanks. That is flat out good preaching. So, so let's look at a few places. Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. We are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is not a fog or an it or, a, or a, just an influence. The Holy Spirit is a person. We are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who do what? So now, wait a minute. I thought we got the Holy Spirit when we got baptized and when we came to know Christ and we gave our life to Christ. Not, not even just the physical baptism, but I'm just saying the whole package of salvation includes baptism. Okay, so uh, we get baptized, we get, and, then, and then God gives us the Holy Spirit. But the, even that is in response to your obedience to be baptized and to give your life to Christ. But is that the end? Okay, now I've had the Holy Spirit, just back to my life. Or are there continuous fillings of the Holy Spirit? We see in Scripture over and over and over, and I'll show you a few, where people were continuously filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, the manifest presence of God, yes, was with them. You're sealed by the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying the Holy Spirit leaves you and then comes back and leaves you and comes back every time you act on it. I think, but there's, so, there's an overwhelming presence of the Holy Spirit coming, especially when you're now in a place where you're going to fail if he doesn't show up. You're in a place to act on what he's called you to do or serve in a capacity or give in a way that you've never given or whatever it is that he calls you to do that takes a big step of faith and then you take the step of faith into this unseen realm. It's like I don't even see it. It just looks like a big cliff to me. And you just step out and, and you expect sometimes to have a gut-wrenching fall and yet there's something there that upholds you and that's God's power. The infilling power of the Holy Spirit. It's powerful. First Corinthians chapter 12, we talked about it many times. To each one of us is given a, a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now that's important as we'll talk about this in a little bit later. One of the other super PowerPoints to understanding how to have the presence of God in your life. 
Certainly give your life to Christ. Get baptized. Come on. Get baptized. We're going to baptize people here soon. Get baptized once you believe into the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. If you're there and you've never been baptized, come on, get baptized and start this journey. Go through the Red Sea and on into the wilderness, and that's where you'll learn and grow, and you'll begin to apply your faith. And that's how the process works. But you will be given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. In other words, this whole church needs your manifestation of the Spirit in some way. It may not be in a way as big as you want right now, but that doesn't mean it's always going to be that way. It may not be uh, the fullness of what God's going to fill you with today, but that's why Paul said you should desire earnestly that you would prophesy. In other words, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Earnestly desire these things so that you can do what? Show off. Lord, I wanted the tap dance, you know. No, that's not what the Lord wants. The Lord's, your passion grows because you, I want this, Lord, because number one, it's your presence, and I'm willing to dance in my underwear for that. If you don't understand what I just said, go back and listen to the last few weeks. Uh, I want to dance, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to the presence, but also I want to bring something to the community of faith here, both locally and regionally and universally. I want to bring something where I can, I just want to serve you. You've done everything for me, Lord, somehow that I could make your family grow. I want to use my, I want to use the power of the Holy Spirit. So we've all been given a manifestation. We'll go to, I want you to go to Acts chapter 4. I alluded to this a minute ago. I think it's important that we see Acts chapter 4. Please get this. I mean, I, this is so right. It's, this is really, it's hard to teach because it can, at every turn you say, well, I can see how somebody could misinterpret what I just said. Oh, I see how somebody could misinterpret that. I see how somebody could... But it's so important that I'm willing to risk being misinterpreted if you'll just keep coming so you can hear the fullness of this through Scripture and how it speaks, even if it flies in the face of your own experience or maybe your own theological background. You say, I don't think that stuff happens anymore, but just, just watch. Acts chapter 4, let's start here in verse 1. So Acts chapter 4, and as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came upon them. And being greatly disturbed because they were teaching people and proclaiming Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now, what's happened here? Well, Peter had healed somebody, and it was the lame beggar. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. And all these things were occurring. And now the religious elite, and this is after Jesus has already ascended back to the right hand of the Father. The Holy Spirit has now been poured out at Pentecost, which happens in Acts chapter 2. And now this is the very early stages of these guys that were no different than you and me. They were not super saints. They were being made into super saints through the power of the Holy Spirit, but they were normal guys and gals. Fishermen, tax collectors, sinners, ne'er-thee-wells, all those kinds of people. And this, was, and this is what they were doing. So don't think, well, that's some saint and I'm just a little old you know, pew sitter out here. No, you're not. You're, you have the opportunity to have the power of the living God manifest in your very soul. It says, and they laid their hands on them and put them in jail until the next day. It was already evening. And many of those who had heard the message believed. And a number of the men came to be about 5,000. Wow. That's pretty good. You know, 5,000 people believing now. They're a bunch of fishermen. Nobodies. Tax collectors. Nobodies came about on the next day that their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem. And Annas, the high priest, was there with Caiaphas and John and Alexander, and, who were all part of the high priestly descent. And when they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, by what power or in what name have you done this? Then Peter, verse 8, what does it say? Filled with the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you something. That word in the Greek is really more current. It's not like filled in the past it's like present having been just filled okay so there was clearly the the outpouring of the holy spirit at pentecost but now this is another this is another moment they're right in the middle of it they could lose their lives do you understand the gravity of this situation i think sometimes we look back and we don't get the full gravity of what was at hand they're in jail and they bring them forward and they're going to want to do the same thing to them that they had just done to jesus they're going to want to string them up. They're going, to want, they're going to want some blood to be spilled. These guys are now preaching on something we put down here not too long ago. 
What if they had some weak, anemic little response? Well, we just want to get out of jail because I want to go back because, you know, the U.S. Open final round is starting up and I got to, you know, blah, blah, blah and all this. And what if they had just wilted in that moment? Well, we already saw them without the Holy Spirit. They wilted all the time. Peter starts out of the boat, and then he wilts. Peter, you know, denies even knowing Christ. He wilts without the Holy Spirit. They all, it says, and Zechariah had prophesied this, and all the sheep will be scattered. Zechariah prophesied this over 500 years before they were scattered, and they all just left. They're like, we're following you till we'll give our life for you, Jesus. And then here comes the persecution. They went running for the hills. Now they could run for the hills. All they've got to do is say, we denied Jesus. We didn't see a resurrected Jesus, but no. The manifest presence of the God through the power of the Holy Spirit came down, says they were filled again with the Holy Spirit. Rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene. Now that takes some courage. They knew what had just happened to the Messiah. They knew what had happened. They knew that was very possible for them. Where did they get this power? Where did they get this kind of courage? They were filled with the manifest presence of God through the Holy Spirit. Now it says this, let it be known to you and all the people of Israel, this Jesus Christ and Nazarene whom you crucified, I didn't, I didn't mince words here, who God raised from the dead by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders. He's now quoting Psalm 118. You guys rejected the cornerstone. That was Jesus. And there is, no, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. So if you're a Bible writer, you should write this verse, Acts chapter 4, verse 12, next to John chapter 14, verse 6. For I'm the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes unto the Father except through the Son. These are these exclusive statements in Scripture that get us away from universalism or pluralism, like all paths lead to God, everybody's doing their best. Talked about that a couple weeks ago. Now verse 13, as they observe the what? confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were Yale-educated, Princeton-trained guys, uneducated and untrained men. These are nobodies. These guys still smell of brine. He's still got filthy lucre. We were giving him, we were giving Matthew money under the table. He was complicit with the Romans. And now, where did they get this kind of confidence? Where's this coming from? They were marveling and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. Seeing the man had been healed, standing with them, they had nothing to say. But when they ordered them to go out outside the council, they began to, you know, talk to one another. What should we do with these men? For a fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. In order that it shouldn't spread any further, let us warn them to speak no more in this man's name. And when they had summoned them and commanded them not to speak and teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you or rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking what we have seen and heard. They threatened them again and it, and it continued. Are you with me? I mean... Now, let me ask you a question. What would have happened had they not obeyed? So what do we learn? What do we learn here in Romans? I mean, excuse me, Acts chapter 5, verse 32. The Lord gives the Holy Spirit to those who obey him. So when you, when you obey God by giving your life to him, he gives you the Holy Spirit. And you're sealed with that Holy Spirit forever. I believe that. Okay? But you will continue to be filled with the Spirit as you do what? You continue to obey him. And so they knew exactly what they had been called to do. They were supposed to stand up and give witness. Because remember, they were probably thinking, remember, I remember when Jesus said this, don't worry about what you're going to say because I'll give you the words when you need it. And they needed them. And what happened right when they were about to need it? And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. 
What if they'd gotten up that morning and said, you know what, this is just too hard. I mean, we, we're all about Jesus, but this is pretty much about us now. We saw him. We're going to heaven. He told us we'd rule and reign and judge the tribes and all that. We've got our place. Let's just go back and, you know, have a pizza and go down and do some fishing afterwards. No. They went right into the middle. Have you seen that Marine? Uh, I think it's the Marines where there's a battle and you think it's probably some kind of advertisement for some one of these uh, games, you know, video games. And that's what I thought it was at first. Bombs are going off and explosions and everything. Obviously, this is a battle moment. And then you, see, you hear these feet running and you see these guys and they're all running at the action, at the fire, firing line, at it. And then it says, you know, welcome to the Marines. They're running towards the conflict, not away from it. In the early days, without the Holy Spirit, they ran away from the conflict. Now what are they doing? They're running right into the middle of it because they know that men's and women's souls are at stake here. They're not willing to give up. And that's the power of the Holy Spirit. So this also happened in Acts chapter 6. Briefly, do you remember the first Christian martyr, Stephen? Let's just read a little bit in the context of what we're talking about. Acts chapter 6, verse 7. Acts chapter 6, verse 7. So the word of God kept on spreading. Why? Because people were being filled with the Holy Spirit and acting on it in power. And the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. Okay, now verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power, where did he get that? Was performing great wonders and signs among the people. But some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, including both Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and some from uh, Cilicia and Asia, rose up and argued with Stephen. Okay? But they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the what? Spirit with which he was speaking. Here he is again. Stephen, what are you going to do? Chances are you're in deep trouble. They're going to do to you to what they did with Jesus. You, you, you know, you don't want to do this. And he stood up and he confronted them and he preached a sermon that has gone down for two millennia now that we still read and are, should be greatly encouraged by and empowered by. Right in the middle. He, he's, he's the Marine that's running at the line, at where the bombs are going off, at where all the bullets are flying from not hightailing it the other way. And how did it do it? Because he was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Signs and wonders were occurring, and he, was, he wasn't an apostle. Stephen was not an apostle. Part of the early church. He was chosen because he was a faithful man to play a role in the church, but he ran right towards the action. And that, to me, is awesome. I'm like, Lord, I want to be that guy. Now, I want you to go to Jonah chapter 1. Now, I told you a minute ago, I made a, I made a declarative statement here that I told you I'd have to back up. When you, run from the, when you run from God's will for your life, in some ways you are running from the very presence of God himself. I say, I don't know how you can say that. I mean, I, you know, I just, I don't. And probably, if that's the case, uh, many of you will say, well, you know, I, I don't even know what God wants me to do. Well, you're in a great place because we're here to, you know, we're here to help and, and to walk through this with, with you, okay? Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Now listen to this. I don't know how it could be more clear. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up, to flee from Tarshish, to Tarshish, which is in Spain, by the way. It's on the southern coast of Spain on the Mediterranean. Now, let me be very careful. Look at the words here. But Jonah, so God says, do this. Go this way. This is my will for you. Go to Nineveh. But Jonah, but Jonah rose up and went the other direction. And then what does it say? From the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa and found a ship which was going to Tarshish and paid the fare and went down into it to go with them and Tarshish from the, what? Away from the presence of the Lord. And the Lord hurried uh, a great wind, hurled a great wind on the sea and there was a great storm on the sea so that the ship was about to break up. 
Some of you right now, maybe even in the listening on live stream, some of you are running the other direction. And God is hurling a great and mighty storm your way. Why? Because he loves you and he wants you to come back into his will and into his will and thereby into his presence. It says, and the Lord hurled a great wind and the sea and a great storm and the sea was about to break up and the sailors became afraid and every man cried to to their God and they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, laid down and fallen asleep. So the captain approached him and said, how is it that you're sleeping? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we won't perish. And each man said to his mate, come, let us cast lots so that we learn whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said, tell us now on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people do you come from? And he said, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the man became extremely frightened, and they said to him, how could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the what? Presence of the Lord, because, because he told them. And then he goes ahead and tells them, and he says, you better throw me, throw me off this boat. And they did, and you know the rest of the story. And it became a great picture, figuratively speaking, of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But Jesus wasn't running away from God's will. Jesus was running towards God's will, even though that included his death. Are you with me? So in some ways, it is not untrue to say that when we run away from the will of God for our lives, we are in a sense running from the very presence of God. You say, well, I want the presence of God in my life. God gives the Holy Spirit to to those who obey. You cannot say, I I want the presence of God, and I I go to all these conferences, and I I do all these things, and, and I go to this church or that church hunting for the Holy Spirit. Can I just tell you, just obey God. If you've never given your life to Him, give your life to Him. If you have enough faith, do your due diligence, but then give your life to Him. And then once you give your life to Him, do what He tells you to do. And now you're in a... Because he's going to tell you to do some things, and you go, there's no way I can do that. Exactly. And right when you get there, and you say, I won't have the courage to do it. I don't have the money to do it. I don't have the time to do it. I, don't have, I have no skill. I'm untrained. Can you see all of that? that? Those guys were all of that. But we're going to stand up, and we're going to be courageous. And what happened? The manifest presence of God, they were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, and then they walked away, and look, many of you have had this experience, I've had it so many times, it's a joke. People, and then people say, oh boy, he he just was, that guy was amazing. Remember what the Bible says in Acts 4, they were marveling at him as being uneducated, untrained men. And then you can walk away and go, ah, look what I did. I never have that feeling. Every time I get in a situation where I'm like, there's no way this is going to happen, but I believe somehow God told me to do it, I'm just going to obey it. And then I walk away because I've seen God show up and the presence of God shows up. Just like this is unbelievable. God, you actually do what you tell me you're going to do. This is your deal. You're building the church. This is your power, your kingdom. It's powerful. So, you know, when we look at that, in John chapter 14, verse 12, Jesus says to his disciples, he said, you know, you, all the things you've seen me do, it's pretty amazing things. You know, walked across the water, raised the dead. But everything that I've done, even greater works you're going to do than what I've done. Does God want to use your life as a, as a vehicle to demonstrate his power to a fallen Coachella Valley and wherever you're from? To say God's power still is with us. He cares about you. He loves you. He died on the cross 2,000 years ago. But that's just not something we believe into as some old creed. He inaugurated the kingdom of heaven, and this thing has invaded the earth to those who will believe. And gives us a foretaste of a little bit of what heaven's going to feel like. No, we're all going to die. At some time, we'll, you'll die of something. Okay? So this isn't the totality of it until we get to heaven. But we should see some indications of the unseen realm breaking into the seen realm. And you call that what you want. I'll call it the supernatural. And if I didn't have that, 
I would never want to do ministry because I'm just up here a talking head. I need the experience of God's manifest presence. Now, just as a function of time, I want to quickly talk to you about the multiplying effect of gathering. And so uh, Matthew chapter 18, again, we've talked about it, but in case you're taking notes, Matthew 18, 19, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it'll be done for them by my Father who's in heaven. For where two or three have gathered in my name, I am there in their midst. There is something powerful about us coming together physically in our bodies. You know, sometimes you think you can do it only from a distance. And, you know, you can just get, we think of the kingdom as being just information. The kingdom of heaven is much more than just information. If it's just information, you can just go out on the internet. You wouldn't have to even be connected with any church. Just go out on the internet. There's plenty of stuff out there. It's hard to navigate finding the right stuff, but, you know, there's plenty of information out there. God, I think, is saying, in fact, he tells, we've talked about this, the letter to the Hebrews, don't neglect gathering together so you can encourage one another. Now, why is that true? There's a multiplying effect because if you have the presence of God manifest, everybody's what? Been given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good? And she has a manifestation, and she has a gift of the Holy Spirit, and she has the power of the Holy Spirit, and he has the power of the Holy Spirit. And we come together. Wouldn't it make sense that there would just be a more powerful environment? I mean, it's one thing to have a strong person come in in, a, in you know, some kind of bar fight and go, there's one strong guy over there. But, yeah, we got, we got all these other. But then it's amazing if he came in with all these superpower guys and, and they got the whole team there and that would suppress anything and there's just some there's a multiplying effect jesus giving us a clue in what happens why it's important that we come together it doesn't just have to be here on sunday morning get involved in a group talk to pastor paul and mary talk to them do something get involved for heaven's sakes we went bowling the other night we were gathered in his name although i might did not bowl for jesus it was bad <laughs> pastor paul sent me a little text and goes you should stick to golf and he says you're absolutely right it was pathetic Adeline, you know, she was over there. I don't know, how, how old is Adeline? Is she four now, five, six, six? Sorry, I'm losing my mind. My girls are too old. But she had bumpers and everything. She rolled the ball down, and she's, you know, getting strikes and all this kind of stuff. And I'm just like, I got, that's unbelievable. She's, you know, I was pathetic, but we were gathered in his name, and I believe that powerful things happened in his name. Just get together. There's something that happens when we gather in the name of Jesus. Now, finally, in, in closing... We have to have unity if this valley is ever, ever going to be reached. This valley is just so challenging. Now, what does it mean, unity? Well, a lot of times I used to read the scriptures, and I would think that unity was that your local church body would somehow be unified. And that's certainly true. The local church, local, the church, the red door, great when we're unified, where we're on the same page, where there's not a lot of dissension. There's just a lot of questions and all this, but there's a, there's a spirit driving towards a singular vision. We're a missional church. We're not just a church that provides religious services for religious people. We're a mission-driven church, and through the process, we want to see people discipled and released into their supernatural life, bringing the unseen into the seen realm. I mean, that's pretty much our core ethos right here, culture of honor, if you're not there, we still, an environment, it's all good. I mean, we want you here, a safe place, all that's true. But at our core, we want to see people meet Jesus because we've met Jesus and he's pretty amazing. We don't want you to meet religion, we want you to meet Jesus. So if that's driving us, we also need to be unified with other gospel preaching churches in the valley. I think, as I told you last week, I think the Lord looks down and sees the, sees the church of the Coachella Valley. I don't, think he, I don't know that he sees individual churches only. We have a calling. Other churches will reach a particular demographic. You may have a friend that came to church at the Red Door and goes, I didn't like him at all. He, he talked way too long. He's, I didn't understand what he said. The worship wasn't what I wanted, blah, 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 blah. Can I just tell you, it's okay because they'll find something in the valley that will be great. And it'll, it'll, it'll inspire them and they'll just think it's fantastic. And they'll still be our brothers and sisters. Don't hinder them because they're not following with us. Listen to what, you know, Genesis chapter 11. Now, some people say that this doesn't have application because this was a, a, for a nefarious reason. This was the Tower of Babel. 
And God comes down and says, wait a minute, they were trying to build a tower to reach up into the heavens, okay? This is religion. Religion always trying to build towers to reach up to God. And God tears down those towers and then comes down to us in the form of Jesus, all right? Don't try to feel like you've got to scale the heights of being the perfect person or, or spiritually just so enlightened and all these guru kind of things that everything's always climb this hill, do this thing, climb to God. God has come to you right where you are. But listen to what he says, Genesis 11, verse 6. He says, and the Lord said, as they were trying to build this, behold, they are one people, and they all have the same language. And this is what they began to do, and now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Now, they were doing it for a wrong reason. They were trying to build their way up to God, and God destroyed the Tower of Babel because he says, and, and he, he mixed their languages. I don't want men to try to get all, you know, reach up to me, but I'll tell you, if they're unified and they're talking the same language, it, everything's possible. Do you know how true that is? If we just, you know, I said, we, maybe in a couple of years we'll be 1,000 people here at Church of the Red Door, right? I'm talking mid-season. We have a high attrition rate, as you know, as you can see. But maybe we're 1,000 people. What if just 100 of those people were on the exact same page, same kind of sacrificial living, the same kind of the desire to advance the kingdom, the same kind of willingness to serve and use their gifts, the willingness to run towards the action and not away from it, just 100 people. It'd be so powerful we wouldn't even know what to do with it. It'd be like an atomic bomb, that unity. John 17 in the high priestly prayer, listen to what Jesus said, verse 18. As you sent me into the world, he's praying to his own father. I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself. That means I set myself apart, cleaned up. I'm, all, I'm perfectly pure. That they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I don't ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who also believe in me through their word, that's us, okay? That they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be in us so that the world may believe that you've sent me. See, there's something really powerful about us, and I'll tell you right now, Jason Duff over at Garden Fellowship I have under, come to understand, I have not yet had a conversation with him, has been diagnosed with cancer. And I think he just started this last week. I'm keeping up, and yet I haven't had an engagement with him yet. Don't know him very well, but ha have come to know him and love him as a brother in Christ over at Garden Fellowship. We may not see eye to eye on every theological point. That is not the point. The point is we're going to pray, and we already are praying. Our teams are praying. I ask you to pray for the senior pastor over at Garden Fellowship that God would heal his body, that would put him back in action. We stand with Garden Fellowship. Ricky Jenkins over at Southwest. Met him. I, I, I already love the guy. I've, I've met him for one minute. I hear unbelievable things. I, the guy can preach, man. They, that's, we pray every time we drive by. We pray for Southwest Community Church. Now on the, uh, a little bit different, maybe spectrum, Community church over here, you know, Chris Hushaw, uh, Covenant Church. And, and unbelievable. We love them. I know we got friends. Let's pray for them. They, they, they reach a particular demographic. We reach a particular demographic. And as the valley sees that we're loving one another, not competing against one another, it's powerful. And what happens? The world will know. How does the world will know? Because somehow the Lord invades that heart of humility. It's just, it's just reality. It's humility. We cannot do everything in the valley. I don't care for the biggest or the tiniest church that ever existed in the valley. Let's do what God calls us to do and be unified with the rest of the Bible-believing, gospel-preaching churches here in the valley, wherever they may be, and not hinder them and pray for them and love them. It's powerful. So what does happen? We'll close with this. I, see, I want you to see this clip. I just love stuff like this, and it's just a nice... I, I love when people live a sacrificial life for the team. Take one for the team. And what is the team? It's the church in the Coachella Valley. Certainly, it's even the church universal. All those Jesus people from all, every ethnicity, every language, everything. But there's something powerful about taking one for the team. And I love this clip in Coach Carter. Let's finish this, and I'll come back and give you one more verse, and we'll close. Bring it in, guys. Go, hustle up. Yo, bring it in, y'all. 
All right, that's it for today. We have a game tomorrow, so get some rest tonight. And remember, ties and jackets tomorrow. Clay. Mr. Cruz. I'm impressed with what you've done. But you came up short. You owe me 80 suicides and 500 push-ups. Please leave my gym. Thanks, Clyde. Gentlemen, see you tomorrow. I'll do push-ups for him. You said we're a team. One person struggles, and we all struggle. One player triumphs, we all triumph, right? I'll do some. I'll run suicides, too. I do some too. Fine. Let's keep count. Call me when they're done. You know, Paul Paul told the church at Corinth, he said, you know, when one suffers, we all suffer. But when one rejoices. When one has something to celebrate, we all celebrate together. It mitigates the pain when you've got other people you know that care about you and are suffering and praying for you when you're struggling. Mitigates the pain. And let me tell you something. If you've ever had something to celebrate and you've got nobody to celebrate with, that's a sad life. I mean, seriously, think about it. You get a big raise or... You know, somebody, something extraordinary happens to you or you get to, you know, get a big promotion or get something and then, no, and then you call and nobody's home and you're like, man, I got all this news and no, nobody, I got nobody to celebrate. Or you're out on the road and you got nobody to celebrate with. See, there, I think the manifest presence of God comes into a place in a very powerful way when we're unified singularly, when we're both. And a church like this, as we grow, we'll always be, there'll be a simultaneity between the two. We'll be rejoicing on one hand and weeping with others at the same time. Because there will always be people who will be up and got great things going on and other people will be struggling. And we'll reach out there and we'll do push-ups for them. And that'll pull them up, and then they may, and then this, this, this may tilt over this way a little bit. But that's the kingdom. But God invades, God invades a church who is rejoicing together and mourning together. Because that's the life that we're in. We're in a fallen world. And it's a manifestation, it's a picture of the way heaven will be. Because we're all going to be on the same page. So there's a unity that invites the presence of God. So these are just some of the ways in which I think the Bible gives us insight into how we can experience the very power and presence of God. Be in His Word. Have faith. It'll grow. Now obey Him and apply it through service or whatever He's called you to do. And then you'll be bringing the unseen realm into the seen realm. It'll manifest itself. And you'll just, the first, time, first few times it happens, you're just like, I can't believe this stuff really works. It's awesome. Then gather together. God's with those who gather, but it's even a step beyond gathering. We've got to speak the same language. We need to be men and women of the word, passionate about the word of God. Not just experience, 
But when we're passionate about the word and we seek his word, he will give us experiences that will leave indelible impressions in not only your minds, but the minds of those who come into contact with you. When they are one, the world will know that thou hast sent me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for Church at the Red Door. What a privilege it is to be considered family. Uh, what a, a growing family. Lord, I, I don't even know everybody here. I don't know everybody's stories. And, but Lord, we have time. We'll continue to know one another. Father, I'm praying that those who feel disconnected will feel connected. Get connected. And Lord, I, I just pray that you will pour out your blessings on a, on a unified people. On a people who gather and on a people who live on your word and then obey what they learn. And Father, for those things, we are forever grateful in Jesus' precious name. Amen, amen. I'd also like to wish my daughter Tatum a happy birthday. She turns 18 today on Father's Day. We love you, Church at the Red Door. Have a great week.